get road rage. And, and those are really the things that I'm so proud of myself for. Um, I'm just grateful that God in his infinite wisdom said, you know what, if you try to, to live out the Christian life all by yourself, um, you're going to suck at it. And so instead, why don't you get together, you know, once a week or so with other believers and just and worship and just be re-energized and rejuvenated. And so um, I'm glad God's a lot smarter than me. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to do that today, you know, to just be humbled a little bit and then encouraged. So here we go. Uh, any of you guys have uh, a check engine light in your car? Check engine light? I mean, if you drive a car that wasn't made 40 years ago, right, you have one. So a uh, check engine light in your car. Uh, the check engine light always comes on right after Christmas, you know, when I just spent like $1,000 on stuff. And then it also comes on like on vacation, on the way to go somewhere, or it comes on right after I just fixed everything in the car, or right after I just had to pay a $500 deductible for health insurance. Anytime that is the worst time, that's when the check engine light comes on. Anybody else's work like that? Here's what I do to make myself feel better. I convince myself that the only thing broken on the car is the check engine light. Anybody else do that? That way I can feel like, yeah, I'm really not tearing everything up down there. I'm doing okay. Um, somebody said that uh, we all know what it means when the check engine light comes on. It means drive to the dealership and give them $600. Um, Because that's pretty much how it goes, right? It seems pretty small, but you go to the dealership and it's always a heck of a lot more than you thought it was going to be. Some people, when their check engine light comes on, they're real do-gooders. They go ahead, they get on the phone, they schedule to go get their car fixed. Those are the same kind of people that never really let their, their gas get below like a quarter of a tank because it's supposedly bad for the car. And those are the people that change their oil every couple thousand miles rather than every five or six. And I change my oil like I'm so far past when my oil gets changed that I can't remember if the mileage they wrote up there is the mileage I got it changed at last or when I need to get it changed again because I'm so far beyond that point. Um, when I when my gas light comes on and it says you have 20 miles left, I'm like, good, I can make it home and back to work tomorrow before I have to get gas. Anybody else do that? That's my approach on many, many things. Um, Needless to say, and if you've seen my car, and God forbid if you've rode in my car, you know that it's not much of a priority. I have some mushrooms growing in the back of it where I've had a a leak for a long time. I haven't tried to cook anything with them yet, but I'm pretty sure they're edible. Um, It's pretty disgusting in there. Uh, When Molly's going to ride in the car with me, I get back there and I scrape the mushrooms off just in case they're dangerous. But it's pretty nasty in there. Um, I haven't washed my car in 10 years. Ten years. Jess and Molly washed it a couple times in the past ten years, um, but I have not washed it in ten years. So I washed it when I was uh, like one time in in college because it was literally completely covered in mud and I couldn't see out the windows. And that time I just washed the windows, but I'm counting that. So I don't care much about my car, to be honest. I mean, if it breaks down, I would care more. Uh, But yet in my house just the other day, you know... uh, we had a smelly, we had this real smell in the guest bedroom, and so I ripped out every wall in there and checked everything out and then put the walls back and ripped the floor up and put the floor back down because for some weird reason, I just don't care that much about my car, but when it comes to my house, you know, I'm just really nuts about it. 
And I don't have any rhyme or reason why I care about one thing and don't care so much about the other, but that's just kind of how it goes for me. And you can always tell what someone prioritizes by the things that they do. You can tell that for some weird reason my house means a lot to me because I treat it like that. My car doesn't mean that much to me because when you ride in it in the summer, you just swelter because my air doesn't work. But I'm just not that worried about it. But you can always tell what somebody prioritizes by the things that they do. You ever been to somebody's house where the grass needed cut and the floors needed swept and all that stuff, but they've been on like four vacations this year? That's priorities, right? Some people prioritize getting away. I wish I could prioritize that a little bit more. You ever been to somebody's house? It was like a $75,000 house and a $100,000 boat. You ever seen one of those? I mean, that's just priorities, right? Some people would much rather fish than live in a nice house. And so we started this whole series by just asking the question, uh, what matters most? Very simply, uh, what are your priorities? You know, like if we looked at your life and the way you spend your money and the things that you do and all that different kind of stuff, what would, what would your priorities be? And, and what kind of things could we clearly tell matter a lot to you? So we started by asking you, here I am, caveman turning papers. Um, we started by asking you that question, so I just want to ask you again. Uh, ask yourself here, what do I prioritize? Like not if someone asked me what's most important to me and I would have to say, my children, you know, because that's politically correct, okay? But if, if we really looked at all the things that you do, uh, ask yourself, based on what I do and all those things, what do I prioritize? And then once you got that thing in your brain, now ask yourself, am I happy? I mean, clearly there are some things that I'm prioritizing. Are those things making me happy? And, and have the things that I prioritized brought me some real joy? Have they really brought me some, some happiness that I could not have gotten otherwise? Scripture says the chief aim of, of correctly placed priorities is, is very simply to bless God. Or even more simply, just to make God happy. So when our priorities are right, the main goal of that is just to make God happy. And what happens as a result of that, a byproduct of when we live that way, is that we get some happiness ourselves. Or that we get some joy ourselves. And so if, if all the things that you're prioritizing aren't really making you all that happy, aren't really bringing you all that much joy, then the problem is probably with your priorities. And not with the fact that you're just not getting everything that you want. If you're not happy, if you're not that joyful, if you're finding yourself always wanting a little bit more than what you have and always wishing that, that the thing that you don't have that you could get, consistently finding yourself in conflict, you know, all those kind of things, then it's probably time to re-examine your priorities because all the things that you're prioritizing haven't really gotten you the things that you really want. So here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we see this huge priorities clash. So you got one sister, and she's up, and she's running all around, and she's working, and she's getting a lot of stuff done. That's what's happening in this text. And the other one is just sitting on her butt. One sister's just running around, staying super busy, and the other one is doing nothing. And everybody right now has to resist the urge to look at somebody sitting around them or to think in their brain about someone sitting around them and saying, you're the one sitting on your butt, right? A lot of pointing here. Um, 
Right? Because that's, that's what we tend to want to do, is say that obviously the one who's busy is the one who is, is doing well, and the one who's sitting on their butt, that's the one who's struggling here. But before you pass judgment and point at everybody else, check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. How about that? Uh, Martha gets a pretty bad rap here. Uh, do you hear how Jesus talks to Martha, right? He says, um, he says, Martha, Martha. You ever said that? To, like when you say that to somebody, it means I'm exasperated with you, right? Uh, if, if somebody says your full name, it means you're in trouble. If somebody says your name twice, it means they're tired of dealing with you, right? Jess would say, Adam, please. Adam, Adam, right? right? It means I'm just, I'm exhausted with this conversation. And Jesus kind of approaches her like, I just can't believe that you can't see what the problem is here, right? It's just kind of surprising to me. He says, Martha, Martha. But think about this. Before, uh, before you want to just align yourself with the person who's doing everything right here, look, look at the situation that Martha's in, okay? So Jesus is coming through town and he decides to stop in. Heck of a lot of people with him. Okay? So he's got a lot of people that are traveling with him, and he decides just to drop in. Martha knows that all these people have to eat, so, so they just kind of dropped in, but they all now need to be fed. The house has got to be clean. And by the way, this is not just anybody who dropped in. This is Jesus. And Martha says a little bit later who Jesus is, so she recognizes that this is a huge deal. So I've got Jesus in my very own home, and, and he needs a meal, and he needs to be fed, and all those kind of things have to happen. And she couldn't just order some Chinese takeout, right? You didn't have the opportunity to do that kind of thing. And she couldn't just run to the grocery store and grab some groceries and do all the things that she needed to do. If you can imagine, Martha had to make some bread from scratch, I mean, I've never made bread from scratch, right? Sometimes I have trouble untwisting the twisty on the bread. She has to make bread from scratch. She's got to build a fire to heat the oven. Hopefully she's got some, some wood that's already, already been split or she's got to split some wood. She may have to slaughter and clean an animal to get that ready for dinner. I mean, this is a huge, huge job. You guys ever boil crawfish? It's like a, it's like an all-day affair, or at least an all-morning affair. It's one of the closest things we get to cooking from scratch, right? And, and it just takes a heck of a long time, and she's got all this to do. This was a huge undertaking. She's running around. She's, she's sweating. She's cooking over an open fire, and it's not like she's got a timer on top of the oven to say when the bread's done, or, or like at our house, a smoke alarm that lets you know the bread's done. Right? She doesn't have any of those kind of things. She's constantly having to run back and check. And she keeps walking by. And, and every time as she sweats and she walks by the, you know, the room where Jesus is and the room where, Mar- where Mary is, she keeps looking, looking in the room and she sees Mary just sitting there doing nothing. And now I have to think that I'm probably a little bit more like Martha. 
I'm probably getting pretty mad and pretty frustrated and pretty aggravated at the fact that I'm doing everything and Mary seems to be doing nothing. In verse 40, the, the way that this reads in the Greek, and we don't really get, we put an exclamation point at the end, but we don't really get to see how mad Martha is. But, but when, you, when you see this in the Greek and you see the emphatic that they use when they explain this to her, it's, it's not like verse 40 actually says, she came to him. That's what it says. She came to Jesus. But, but it's more like she came at him. That's what it says. She came at Jesus. She interrupted abruptly. And she's super mad. And, and what she says to Jesus is, do you see Martha sitting there doing absolutely nothing? And she recognizes who Jesus is, and she's working so hard to do all these things for him, and she's so mad that Mary's doing nothing. And I think she's got to be like, here you are, Jesus, coming to rid the world of injustice and all those kind of things. And yet here I am. And and look at this injustice. I'm doing all the work and you're just letting it happen. And she's so incredibly frustrated. And now remember this. We said it back at the beginning and I'll say it again. What we do, what you and I do, that's what reflects our priorities. And you see what Martha is doing, and you see what Mary is doing, and it's pretty clear what their priorities are. Martha's priority is putting on a good show, right? Everything's got to be perfect. The way I'm perceived is very important to me. The, the lavishness of this dinner tells Jesus how much he matters. And the way that this all looks reflects directly on me. And what Jesus seems to indicate to her is, I don't need all of this spectacle. I don't need this whole show. What would really be great for you to do is just to sit at my feet and learn. I I can't help but think about our own church in the middle of this. And I got to think Jesus would sometimes say to the church at large, look, I don't need a huge cathedral. And I don't need you to spend just these fortunes to build buildings that are so much more lavish than anything that we need to worship in. Like, I don't need all those things. I just need you to sit at my feet. I put a couple pictures up there. And this is, uh, um, when we say secret church, sometimes it's churches that used to happen in China. It doesn't happen so much in China anymore. kind of happens a lot in India now. Um, but but this, is, this is what a lot of church gatherings look like. And, and, man, people are gathered in small spaces and uh, because it's not really safe to gather in large groups because, you know, you'll kind of get attacked and all those kind of things. So they just gather in these little bitty spaces, and they got, you know, not a whole lot of lighting, and they're trying not to bring a whole lot of attention to this kind of gathering. And, and they got 40 people shoved in a room the size of, like, a one-car garage, and they're all in here, but yet they'll stay all day long because they may only get the opportunity to gather, like, once a month or once every couple months, and they're just there all day long. And i got to think Jesus looks over here at some of the things that we have and says, man, look at your the amount of money and the lavishness that you spent on, on all the stuff around you. Man, this is what I'd like to see. Maybe not necessarily worshiping in secret, right? But the idea that it's more about Jesus than it is about all the other stuff. Um, Martha's running around very frantically and for a really good cause. People have to eat and things have to be done. And Mary just sits here at the feet of Jesus. Uh, The scripture indicates that Mary's not sitting here because she doesn't care about 
people getting food. The way that the way that it kind of reads is Martha says it's like she's saying Mary was helping, right? But then when you got here, she stopped helping, and now I have to finish everything. So. Mary is helping, taking care. It's not that we just shirk all of our responsibility. She did all the things that she had to do, but but when it comes to the lavishness of this banquet and all those kind of things, she says, those are not the things that I'm worried about. And I'm not going to sit here and stress about how this looks to everybody else. Instead, I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because what I'm going to prioritize in this time is Jesus. What you do signals what your priorities are. And the way you spend your time and the thing you spend your time on says what's important to you. So then the question is, I had to ask myself this week, is what do you spend most of your time on? What do you spend most of your time doing and focusing on and trying to make better? And then the next question is, does that leave you feeling really full? Do you get everything out of it that you wanted to get out of it? Here's what Jesus says to Martha that I think you would probably say to me uh, all the times that I, I focus on work and I think about those things too much. I think he would say this to me too. He says, you're worried about many things, but only one of them is really important. You're worried about a ton of things, but only one of them is really important. Do you want to feel full? Right? Do you want to not want? He says, sit at the feet of Jesus. Spend some time serving. Spend 10 minutes in prayer at the beginning of the day. And all of a sudden, all your other worries seem pretty small. And all of a sudden, you feel pretty good about what you've accomplished. And when I, when I spend some time in church and when I spend some time in prayer, I feel way better about what I've accomplished than I do when I try to do all the other things that I'm focusing on. And when I step out of here and I've worshipped and I've spent some time with you guys, I feel like, man, I just got a lot done. And, and I was the least busy that I've been all week. Jesus says, man, you're worried about a lot of things, but only one thing is really important. Uh, in his book, um, this guy, his name's uh, Clovis Chapel. He, he wrote about this Roman city of Pompeii. It's a pretty interesting thing. And uh, when they were excavating this whole city and they were, they were kind of doing this big archaeological dig, uh, they found the body of a woman and it was kind of mummified in these, these volcanic ashes. And so this volcano erupted and all this lava is pouring down the mountain. And they find this woman and, um, and she's in this real unique position. What happened is, as she's standing there, they can see her feet are pointing towards the city gate. Like she's running as fast as she can to get out of the city. But she's got her outstretched arms and her fingers scratched into something reaching backwards. And so as they continue to excavate, uh, what they find is right behind her is this fairly well-preserved thing of pearls. So there's this huge bag of pearls. And, and even though lava is just coming quickly after her, uh, and she is very focused on getting out of there, there is still yet one thing that means more to her than life itself, and that is these pearls. That's this thing that she can't take with her when she goes that has no lasting eternal value, but these are the things that she's got to have. And what you do and what you reach for, and what you grasp for, and what you would give up most things for, that's your priorities. Those are the things that are most important to you. And let's be honest, it's not easy to change those things. If it were easy to change those things, you wouldn't think twice about the pearls when the lava is coming towards you. 
If it were easy to change all the things that, are, that, that get in your way, then you would just do it. And that's why I think this, this story's here. And, and I think what the story I just told you says, and the story about Mary and Martha says, it's pretty clear, is the key to changing your priorities is to recognize your need and then to move your feet. Recognize your need for Jesus and then just to move your feet. Um, pretty interesting, and, and I'll just reveal to you how bad of a biblical student I am. You know, um, But the, the Mary in this story is the same Mary that sought out Jesus and the woman who, when Jesus is, um, I, I, I didn't know this or maybe I'd forgotten it. I'm going to say that I forgot it, so I'm not so bad. But this is the same woman that, that when we see the story of the woman who finds Jesus and he's sitting with all his disciples, she comes and she pours the oil on his feet and, uh, and, she, and she wipes his, his feet with her, with her hair. All right, you remember that story and, and, and the disciples are saying, Hey, this Jesus, if you only knew how filthy this woman was, you wouldn't let her touch your feet. Like this Mary that you see in this story that's sitting at Jesus' feet is the same woman that the disciples were like, this woman is so dirty and so nasty. And, and what she did was at some point in time, she knew that she needed Jesus. And if she was going to change her reputation from someone who is filthy and dirty and someone who cares nothing about anybody else, she was going to have to find Jesus. She was going to have to move her feet and do something different and go in a different direction. So she recognized that she needs Jesus and she seeks him out and she moves towards him. So I ask you a question. Are you uh, are you happy? Talk about this word, and I don't mean happy just for a moment, but, but are, you, are you content with where you are? Are you hopeful about the future? Uh, do you have a calm spirit about things? Uh, all, all these things roll into this one big word uh, of joy. Are, are you joyful? And would you say that, that your life largely is, is, is one that is characterized by joy? Scripture says when Jesus is first, you know, like when Jesus matters most, that's when you'll experience real joy. And if you want to move in that direction, I would say recognize that you need Jesus and then just begin to move your feet towards him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for... Uh, we thank you that... I just thank you that in spite of all the ways that... Um, even this week alone, that I made all the wrong things the most important things. And, and for all of us, in the ways that we've made all the wrong things the most important things, starting long ago, continuing into this morning, and even as we walk throughout this very morning, uh, the things that are flooding our minds just are, are so far from the things that are most important. Uh, so, God, we ask forgiveness for that, and we recognize that, that what we need is you. And so, God, I just pray that we would be people that would begin to move our feet towards you and say, God, I don't know how to, how to fix all these things that are, that are wrong with what I'm doing, and I don't know how to get rid of the sense of discontentment or the sense of wanting things that I don't have, but, God, I just recognize that I need you, and I want to just start moving towards you. And I pray, God, that that would be our prayer this morning. Amen.